You're listening to the teaching ministry of Houston's First Baptist Church, a relevant biblical community. For more information, visit houstonsfirst.org. Well, now that we're all ready to go to Rome and eat some Italian food and some good stuff like that, I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Romans. We are going to go to Rome. That's where we're headed for this book, to be able to look at this. So Romans chapter 1, verse 1, is where we'll kick off in just a second. But as you're turning there, let me tell you a little bit about this. This was written in 57 AD. Paul is about 52 years old at this point, so middle-aged men unite. And here he is at 52 and 57 AD. AD, and he has been a Christian about 23 years. So the road to Damascus is about 23 years in the past. He spent three years in the desert. We studied a couple weeks ago, getting to know the Lord, getting to, to understand how the Old Testament, the New Testament connect. And then now he's writing the book of Rome. He's writing it from Corinth. He has actually never been to Rome at the point when he's writing this book. Now, he's going to get there, read the end of the book of Acts, and you'll find him in Rome, but he hasn't been there yet. He wants to go there, and what his desire is, he wants to go to Jerusalem, and then to Rome, and then to Spain. If you were to look into Romans 15, you'd find that's what he's hoping to do, but he wants to send this letter because the gospel is going all throughout the world, and he wants to send it to really like the key, key city of Rome. And so he's writing this letter and he's sending it to the people in Rome. It's a powerful letter. It's an amazing, amazing letter. Now, we all love encouragement and that's what we're going to find here in the book of Romans. We're going to find this amazing waiting letter. Don't you love encouragement? Don't you like it when you get an encouragement note? Do you ever get an encouragement note and go, man, I wish you wouldn't have encouraged me today. I really don't need it today. There's never a bad time to encourage. We always receive that, a text message, a note, uh, whatever it is, an email to be able to connect with someone and encourage them a little bit. School starting up probably this week for, for many of you families. And so school starting up, there's going to be a lot of encouragement that these students are going to need. And some of the students you're going to receive in your lunch kit, mom's going to write you a little note. Dad's going to write you a little note on a napkin. I always love those little surprises. You'd get it and go, oh, I didn't know I was going to get that. Wow, that's so cool. And if they're too old for a lunch, kit, shoot them a text, okay? That can work as well. But so I thought about that with just encouragement notes, how so many of those lunch kit notes are going to happen in this next week. And so I found a, a couple lunch kit notes that I thought you might get a kick out of. Here's what the first one says. I hope you don't mind. I took a bite. <laughs> so mom got a little hungry there. The next one that we've got here, please don't trade these for a Twinkie, Okay. Little encouragement there. The next one we have, I forgot to buy more snacks. I hope my love is enough to fuel, enough fuel to get you through the day. Hugs and kisses, mom. Now that's just a sweet mom thing. Now dads, we parent a little differently in our encouragement. Here's one from dad. Every time you don't eat your sandwich, a unicorn dies. <laughs> dad fact, love dad. Can't you see that sweet little girl with a pink bow in her hair? I don't want to kill a unicorn. I don't want to kill. Just eating that bologna sandwich that's there. Those encouragement notes, they mean the world to us. We love those surprises. Even in life Bible study next week, you're going to write an encouragement note to somebody to just give application to what we're talking about. 
There's never a bad time to encourage. And Paul is writing us a letter, a note here of Romans. It's a powerful note. And we've got to understand that he's encouraging us through this whole thing because there's going to be some difficult parts of Romans. And he's going to actually say, you need to leave your sin. I'm encouraging because God loves you so much. He's going to call out what sin is and what righteousness is. The first 11 chapters are about a vertical relationship with God. Then chapters 12 through 16 are about our horizontal relationships, how to live it out on planet Earth. It's a powerful book. Let me give you a couple quotes. Frederick Godet, a French commentator, said that Romans is the cathedral of the Christian faith. Coleridge, excuse me, Coleridge, an English poet, declared it's the most profound work in existence. William Tyndale, the great English reformer and translator of the scriptures, he referred to Romans as the principal and most excellent part of the New Testament. No man can read it too often or study it too well. The more it is studied, the easier it is. The more it is chewed on, the more pleasant it is. The more it is searched, the more precious things are found. So great are the treasures found in the book of Romans. Last one, Martin Luther said this, Romans is worthy not only of every Christian to know it word by word by heart, but to occupy himself with it every day as the daily bread of the soul. It can never be read or pondered too much. The more it is dealt with, the more precious it becomes, the sweeter it tastes. It is the chief part of the New Testament and the perfect gospel. I tell you, Romans... Some would say, and I submit to you, could be the greatest thing ever written in human history. And we're about to look at it. And we're about to get something out of it. And we're about to unpack this encouragement note, this lunchbox moment to our hearts and our souls for God to encourage us through Paul and to say, I want you to know. So let's read it with our heads. Let's read it with our hearts. Let's go to seminary, yes, and get some doctrine and theology, but let's go to our homes and offices and have some application as well. It's not just a cerebral event. This is a heart aspect, and you'll see when we get to verse 7, why we're calling this series to Rome with love. Look, if you will, in chapter 1, verse 1 of Romans. We're going to read the first two verses, and we're going to stop, and you're going to wonder how I'm going to ever get us all the way to 7, but verses 1 and 2 are packed, and we will make it, don't worry, to verse 7. Here we go, verse 1, chapter 1 of Romans. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called, circle called, you'll see it three times in these first seven verses, called as an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. That's the Old Testament. Let's take verse one right there. He sets out something for us, Paul does. He says, you're called and set apart, the first verse of the Scripture. Paul, an apostle of God, or Paul, a servant of Christ, an apostle of God, called as an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. God's people are called and set apart. God's people are called and set apart. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you place your faith in Christ alone for salvation, his death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead was for you, and you've prayed and received that as Savior, you are called and set apart. The first calling of every man and every woman is a call unto salvation that God's telling you right now, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, I'm telling you, God's telling you through me, come to Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's the first calling that happens. 
And then once we become a believer in Christ, God is going to strategically place you as a believer, strategically place you. Let me define calling for you. It's in your listening guide. Here's what it is. A believer in Christ is strategically placed for significant purpose. A believer in Christ is strategically placed for a significant purpose. There's no one that God goes, yeah, that person, I don't really care about them. They don't have any significant purpose. I haven't placed them. God has placed you in your stage of life. Young singles, listen, he's got you in this moment right now as a single adult for a specific purpose, for a strategic purpose. Or older singles, for widows, widowers, for those that are married, with children, without children. God's placed you in your office, in your home, in your neighborhood, in your workforce, in your school students. He's got you in that band at second chair trumpet for a reason. He knows exactly why he's placed you on that team. He has strategically placed you in his economy to make a difference and you have a significant purpose. And that's good for us to hear because 57% of Americans feel like they don't have a purpose in life. God has called you and placed you and put you in that moment for a strategic purpose. Now watch Paul, watch him unpack this. You, you would, you, it's easy to miss. The first phrase of the book of Romans, Paul, now it's just him, a lot of books of the Bible, you get Paul and a bunch of other people. Paul, number two, a servant of Christ called to be an apostle of the gospel, Okay. Now, in your listening guide, you got some blanks and you're going to have to fill them out on your own. Blank, put your name in that blank. Servant of Christ. Third blank, that's for you to fill out. You could put mom, you could put dad, you could put single adult, you could put your vocation, whatever your role, whatever your age and stage kind of things you got going on. What is it for you? So for me, I would put Greg, a servant of Christ. Dad, husband, pastor. That's how I would figure it out to be able to do. Greg, a servant of Christ, dad, husband, and pastor. Now, what is Paul doing? He's saying, first of all, God knows my specific name. The name Paul means small. He's been humbled. He's a tremendously learned man, but he's very small now. He's humbled. Only small birds sing. And so the joy is found in humility. So Paul, small, but Paul, that's who he is particular, but he knows who he is in his identity. I'm a servant of Christ. I'm a servant of Christ. Now, when Paul says this as a very studied, very powerful man in Judaism, 23 years past, he's saying this and the people of Rome are like, whoa, he just called himself a doulos is the Greek word. It means slave or servant. There was millions of slaves throughout the Roman Empire. And Paul says, I'm a servant of Christ. It'd be like a billionaire saying, I take out the garbage. So Paul, a servant of Christ, do you and I, do we know who we are? That's your identity. You're a servant of Christ. We try to fill that second spot with the things that are in our third spot. Your name, servant of Christ, then whatever else you do. What is your identity? Your identity and my identity, if you're a believer in Christ, is we're a servant of Jesus. Your sexuality is not your identity. Your race is not your identity. Your socioeconomic class is not your identity. Your party affiliation and how you vote is not your identity. Your age, your stage, your wealth, your education, that's not your second blank. Your second blank is servant of Christ. Christ. 
Now watch. If I understand Greg, if I understand my part of it, who I am, and I understand my identity in Jesus Christ, watch, it informs everything else I do. But if I get everything else into that second blank, then I've lost the calling part of it. Let me just ask you like this, Greg, a servant of Christ, pastor, do you want me to be a pastor before I'm a servant of Christ? Or do you want me to be a servant of Christ and that inform my pastoring? See, when you realize you're a servant of Christ, it changes what kind of teacher you are. It changes what kind of mom you are. It changes what kind of husband you are. It changes what kind of single adult you are. Because now you know who you are. You know your identity in Jesus Christ. So now as a student, you can walk out on that team in that band. And peer pressure is not as big of a deal because you know whose you are so it can inform what you do. I know who I am, I know whose I am, and so I'll, now I know how or what I am to do. How amazing is that? Now, let me give you three diagnostic statements, if you will, of calling, because I don't want you to think about, well, calling is just, that's a, that's a ministry term, that's a pastor term. I mean, you're called because you're a pastor. I'm just a CPA. I'm not called, it's just what I do. No, you're called to a strategic location for a significant purpose. That's where we started, right? God's called you to a strategic location for a significant purpose. So here's three things that have helped me in my life, helped other people when I shared with them. I hope it helps you. Number one, diagnostic statement. You've got to fill in all these blanks. God wants me to blank. What do you sense God wants you to do? What is it that you think, you know, I feel in my heart, God wants me to have this major in college. God wants me to have this job. God wants me to marry this young lady. He wants me to marry this young man. God wants me to, 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 to be in this vocation. I really sense the Lord. I can see the plan. I can see what God's doing. That's number one. What does God want me to do? Number two is, what do I want to do? What do I want to do? Now, we kind of negate this when we're like, oh, don't say that. No, what you want to do should connect with what God wants you to do because he's created you to do it, right? That's what he's made you for. That is what he's created you for. And then the third one is the fruit is seen when I do blank. So let me put it like this. You feel like God wants you to sing. You want to sing. Everybody leaves the room when you sing, okay? That ain't your bag, okay? Maybe you need to go and take some singing lessons and maybe you'll come back but that's not the deal. God wants you to do it. You feel an oughtness in your heart. This is what God's made me for. I want to do this. Paul says later, he says, I'm compelled. And then he sees fruit happen when he does it. Let me tell you what, sitting in this chair right now at this very moment, I think I'm in the exact spot God wants me to be. In this very second, God wanted me to do this. I really want to share this with you. I've been keeping Romans corked up in my heart for months now. It's like popping it off and I'm ready to share it with you. I want to do this and I believe there'll be fruit that will happen. And so my, my life, I, I was in business school and, and graduating and all of those sort of things in college, and I, I just felt like God wants me to be in ministry. God wants me to be, I thought at that point, student ministry, and I did a lot of college ministry for a lot of years, but I, this is what I was made to do, and I want to do it. Am I scared? Yes. But do I want to do it? Yes. I feel like I was made for this. And then fruit happens. It doesn't have to be big, grandiose fruit. You just see it's awesome. 
So you're a CPA, that's great. God's given you gifts with numbers and the ability to understand that. And you feel like, this is what I'm supposed to do and this is what I wanna do. And people are, are blessed. We need people that understand these things and can operate spreadsheets and all these different things, right? All this stuff, it's great. In our very church, talked to a man last week and he said, Pastor, let me just tell you my story real quick. I was at a marriage retreat and I felt like God was saying to me, I need to quit my job and I need to start this business. So I just started praying about it and I talked with my wife about it. We were a little bit scared about it, but she said, yeah, let's go for it. And then I started just thinking about it more and more. I started making notes about it and I started dreaming about it. I started writing down things about it and I started having business plans and asking people and I started thinking, this is what I wanna do. And then now here we are years later and we got 16 employees in this business and God's hands all over it. So this isn't just pastor talk. This is just life talk. God's got a significant purpose for you and a strategic placement but it's gonna take some courage. What's the courage? Here's the courage. The key to fulfilling your calling is the courage to be set apart. The key to fulfilling your calling is the courage to be set apart. Now, some of us are better at this than others, but most of us as human beings, the last thing we want to do is stick out. We just wanna go with the flow. We wanna be able to make sure we kinda fit in. And God's saying in this place, in this first verse, I mean, we only got through two verses so far. Paul, a servant of Christ, called by Christ Jesus to be an apostle of God, set apart for the gospel of God. So a set-apartness, it takes courage. But if you're going to fulfill your calling, you're going to have to be different. If you're a Christian, you're different. You're a city set on a hill. You are here to create thirst. Don't look like everybody else. Be different. Students, can I tell you this? When you have this feeling in your heart, well, I don't want to be the only one. You learn to be the only one. You be the only one that's not going to get drunk. You be the only one that's not going to do drugs. You be the only one that's going to wait till marriage. And you'll be maybe the only one that's shining with the joy of Jesus like never before. You learn to be strong enough to be the only one. And adults, we got to hear it too. It takes courage to be set apart, but you'll never fulfill your calling if you don't have the courage to trust Jesus to be set apart. You can have the same job you got on Friday as you're going to have on Monday and rock it. That's great. I'm not making everybody change jobs. And, oh, my goodness. Just, you're like, oh, whoa. But it takes courage to be set Apart. Think about this. You've been watching the, the Texans spring training and, and seeing uh, the quarterbacks all over the NFL. What jersey does every quarterback wear in spring training? No matter what their team colors are, the quarterback's wearing a red jersey. Why? Because he's set apart. Saying, don't hurt that guy. We need him badly. Don't tackle them. So every team, we need him badly. Every team needs a quarterback. And so here they are. And the linemen are going to run up. They're going to stop right here. Because he's got the red jersey on. Other players wear it too, but typically the quarterback, he's set apart. Can I tell you what? You got the red jersey of the blood of Jesus Christ on you, believer. Doesn't mean you're not going to get tackled at times. Yeah, let's cheer for that. Come on. But you're set apart. You're different. And Paul says, called as an apostle and set apart for the gospel. Students, you be strong enough to be set apart. You learn to be the only one if that's what it takes. Singles, you be set apart in your purity. Don't compromise. All of us be set apart for the gospel of Christ. See, we're set apart for, not just from. You hear that? 
We're set apart for something, something really special that God has for you and has for me. Not just from something. And sometimes we don't want to be set apart from the sin. We just want to just kind of stay close. Yes, you're set apart from something, but you're also set apart for something. Let God do something great in your life. Teenagers, let me just tell you, shoot straight with you. I remember one time as a teenager, I got caught in a situation I shouldn't be in, and there I was at this party, and everybody there is doing drugs, and they all look at me, and they say, this is a phrase, they said, Greg, if you're not going to participate, then you need to leave. And I'm the only one, and all eyes are on me. And I pulled out this amazing Hebrew word. Bye. (laughs) And got up and walked out the door. And let me tell you what, praise God for that. Because I wouldn't be standing here today if I was sitting there today. And I don't even remember any of those people's names that I wanted so badly their approval. But in that moment, and I failed in other ones, students, I had the courage to just simply stand up and walk out and be set apart for the gospel of Jesus Christ. God had something better for me than I was leaving from. God had something better. And Paul saying, I want you to walk with God. And that's what Romans is about, being set apart. Now watch verse two through verse four. He's gonna talk about how this is, this gospel, what this is, verse two through four. He promised beforehand throughout the prophets in the Holy Scriptures, that's the Old Testament, concerning his son, great phrase, Jesus Christ our Lord. That combines the humanity of Christ and the lordship or the divinity of Christ. Jesus That's humanity, Christ our Lord, our Savior, our God, who was a descendant of David according to the flesh, 100% human, and was appointed to be the powerful Son of God according to the Spirit, that's His God side, or 100% God, Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Now, here's what he's saying, that there is a set-apartness and it's come from the Old Testament. Did you see it? The gospel in the New Testament is not a new thing. The whole Old Testament has been building towards Jesus. In Genesis, Adam and Eve sin, and what happens? An an animal is slain to cover their sin. In the New Testament, you and I sin. Well, what happens? An animal, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, was slain to take away our sins. We trust that Jesus is our our Passover lamb, that we'll go to heaven because our sins have been passed over because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Well, what happened in Exodus? They killed a lamb so that they could paint uh, over the doorpost of the house the blood of the Passover lamb. The Old Testament is basically speaking into the New Testament. Here's what Paul's saying. If David was here in 57 AD, he'd be a Christian. If Moses was here, He'd be a Christian. If Elijah showed up, he'd bend his knee at the cross and he'd ask Jesus Christ to be his savior. All of the Old Testament saints would look back and say, that's what we were talking about and that's who we were talking about and we need him as bad as anything. And Paul is building the strength of his gospel by saying, I'm Paul, I'm just a servant of Christ, but I want you to know David and I want you to know the prophets and I want you to know the Old Testament. I want you to know all those things are building into what I'm telling you right now about the good news of Jesus Christ. So it's on a firm foundation that you are saved for something, not just saved from something. And then verse five is a great verse. Look at verse five. It says this, through him, underline through him, that's Jesus, through him, 
We have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of the faith. So how are we going to be obedient? Through him. For the sake of the name among all the Gentiles. So we'd have a a good witness and testimony before other people, including you who are also, circle it, second time you've seen it, called by Jesus Christ. So here's what he's saying. The Christian life is through Christ, his power, not our efforts. Now we got to hear this because we think the Christian life is just quit doing this and start doing this and do more of this and do less of this and just try to get the scales balanced out. The Christian life, the only way you live it is by putting a funnel on your head and letting Jesus live through you. That's how you live it. It's Jesus through you. It's, Lord, I don't have the strength. I don't have the the willpower. God, I need your help, God, to help me to do this. Students, I remember as a high school student, I had a foul mouth, unfortunately, before I became a Christian. I remember praying one day, just asking God that God help me not cuss today. And all of a sudden, I ended up at fourth period. I was like, I hadn't cussed all day. Through the power and the strength of God, not just... But God doing something. Lord, I want to give that to you. I don't want, this doesn't, how can fresh water and salt water come from the same mouth? How can I say Jesus and then say that at the same time? It doesn't make sense. Lord, give me the power. That's just one thing. And he'd give you power over a whole lot of sense. Lord, I need you to go through me to give me the strength to live in obedience to the Christian life of what you want me to be. He's the power. And when he's the power, then he can make the difference. This summer, I got a great opportunity. I've gotten to do it before. It's really fun. If you've never done it, you ought ought to do it. Uh, We got to go whitewater rafting. It's awesome, beautiful, beautiful scenery uh, that you can have there, whitewater rafting. And so here we are, we get on the side of this yellow boat and you put your foot under one little thing and put your back foot under another thing. And you're seeing these rapids coming and you're paddling. Everybody's got a paddling in unison and we're cruising down the river and we're going through all these rapids and this cold water's being splashed on us. Wonderful, beautiful, beautiful day I'll never forget. Where was the power in the boat? There was no motor. Our paddling was not the power. The power was the river. That's where the power was. Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit of God living inside of the believer is the river upon which we place our life. Now, the paddle is guidance. It's going to help you guide. Life Bible studies, a paddle in your hand will help you guide your Christian life. Well, let's pray about that a little bit. Let me get some wise counsel about that. Let me see it. Let me really think about that and ponder that. Let me study the scriptures on that. This is, I'm giving you paddles here to put into your boat. But the river is Jesus. That's the river. And he's the power to get it done. And so what do we do? Watch, it's gonna, I'm going to bring it together. We then surrender our lives to Christ. And we say, Lord, you're in charge, and I surrender it to you, and you do your work in my life, and I surrender it to you. I give you that sin I can't get over. I give you that hurt that I, I, I got to work through. I give you that, that direction. I don't know where to go, Lord. I'm not sure what to do. I want to lay it down to you. Lord, students, I give you my need for friends, and I ask you to provide, and you just get in that boat, and you surrender, and God will take you. And sure, you're going to paddle and steer a little bit, but Jesus is the river. So let me pull it together. Paul, just a small man, but he's a servant of Christ. 
He knows whose he is, and it informs everything he does, and the power of God in his life is going to take him further, so he just basically surrenders. So he can say, as we get to it in a couple weeks, uh, verse 16, for I am not ashamed, we'll put it on the screen, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first the Jew, Old Testament, saying, come on Jews now in the New Testament, and also to the Greek. For in, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by, paddling really hard, the righteous will live by faith. So here's the deal. God's called you. God set you apart. You belong to him. He's got something so great for you. So don't be ashamed of the gospel that's changed your life. Don't be ashamed of it. Be set apart with it. We've got these wristbands that we're handing out today to just basically kick off the book of Romans. It just says simply, I'm not ashamed for us to be able to wear and to say, I'm not ashamed to put on your dashboard or your car, to to hang on your mirror, whatever it is, to just say, Jesus has done so much. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power in my life. And I celebrate it. Everybody else is celebrating their sin and we're all ashamed of the gospel. Don't walk in shame. God's taking your shame away. Somebody asks you, yeah, I'm not ashamed because Jesus has forgiven my sins. I'm not ashamed because God's changed my life. I'm not ashamed because I'm strategically placed for this purpose in this office, in this place, for you to ask me that question. So you better get ready, brother. (laughs) And you walk with the power of God through you. From the Old Testament to the New Testament to your seat, God has a plan for you and me. And we're always discovering it. I just want to paddle well and trust the power of God in my life. Now watch how he closes this thing out in verse 7. Our last verse. Pretty good introduction so far, don't you think Paul's done a good job? To all who were in Rome. Now notice if you've been familiar with the scriptures. He doesn't say to the church in Rome. He says to all who are in Rome. Loved by God. Here's your third time. Called as saints. How? Grace to you and peace because you're fulfilling God's purpose from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ to all who are in Rome loved by God. Why are we calling this series to Rome with love? Because of that verse of scripture right there. Verse seven, put in your listening guide. Loved by God. In Rome, loved by God. I got to go this summer to Rome, as many of you know, and I got to go on your behalf. I really believe when we send a mission trip out of, of our people, of staff, we are, we are going on behalf of Houston's First, on your behalf, because you're either praying, giving, going, or disobeying. That's the only choices you have in missions. Praying, giving, going, or disobeying. So those that are going, we're going because you're praying and you're giving, and uh, we don't want any of us want to be disobeying. So I went on your behalf and got to preach in Rome, and the verse of Scripture that I preached in Rome in the city park was Romans 1, verse 7, to all who are in Rome, loved by God. That was my message. What's the love of God? Well, the love of God's lasting. It's irrevocable. It's filling. It's comforting. It's sacrificial. It's life-changing. He's going to call us saints in just a second. 
Love by God. Let me show you a couple pictures. I've shown you a couple of them before, but that's our the pastor that we partnered with his church to the right, and then my translator to the left, and another lady we met, my family there in the middle, right there in the city park in Rome with these big apartment buildings as they came out with our choir and orchestra at the Loop campus, and, and we had hundreds of people show up from these apartment complexes. They'd not, they hadn't been there in years because of COVID. First time the park's been used in years because of COVID, and we preached the gospel and told them, you're loved by God. And then after that, as you have to do in Rome, we got gelato to celebrate. <laughs> My favorite Italian word, gelato. To Rome, he says, you're loved by God. And to stand in that city park and declare that, I declare it to you, to all in Houston, you're loved by God. You're loved by God. You're loved by God. Students, you are loved by God. Who cares who likes you? You're loved by God. Singles, waiting on that special someone, does not matter. You are loved by God. Those with grief so deep it hurts because you lost a loved one, your husband, your wife, another family member, you're loved by God. God, those that you don't know why you're doing what you're doing, you're loved by God. That's the river you're in. So quit trying to paddle upstream. Let him take you to where he's called you and have the courage to be different, to be different. He says, all who are in Rome, loved by God. And then we gotta know that because when we get further into chapter one, and really chapters one through three are about calling out our sin. He's got to tell us the bad news before we get to the good news. So remember that we're loved by God, called as saints. Now let me close by saying this. There's a lot of saints in Rome. There's a saint such and such here and a saint so-and-so there and a saint this cathedral and a saint that over here and saint this. There's saints all over. Let me tell you what, this is not, that's not what he's talking about. Saints he's talking about are because of belief, not because of behavior. You are a saint if you know Jesus Christ because of your belief, not your behavior. And when you get the right belief, watch this. If you get the right belief, your behavior will follow. If you just try to have, try to have the right behavior, your belief might not follow. A lot of moral atheists. But your belief informs your behavior. Let me say it another way. Paul, a servant of Christ, belief informs his behavior, an apostle set apart for the gospel. Do you see it? Greg, a servant, informs the way I parent and the way that I, I'm a husband and the, the things that I do vocationally. So saints because of belief, not because of behavior. And I want you to hear this as we wrap this thing up. You're called and set apart. You are loved by God, and the way you experience it is through the grace and the peace of Jesus Christ. Not your effort. You just jump in the river and let God take you where he wants to take you. If you don't know Christ, oh, it's the most refreshing stream you've ever tasted of. As he forgives you of your sins and begins to guide your life. If you know Jesus Christ, Surrender and let him guide you. He'll do a good job with it. Here's how we're going to end today. A little bit different. All campuses 
we're gonna sing the same song over you of the love of God. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to just sit in it and let these words wash over you of how much God loves you and receive it. You may wanna kneel. We'll have folks down front. You can come talk to them if you want. But let's just receive it and allow it to wash over us. Father, we come in Jesus' name. We thank you for this note in our lunchbox of encouragement. And we tell you, God, we want to love you because we are so loved by you. Give us the courage to rest in the river of your grace and be set apart. To those in Rome, loved by God, and I say to those in Houston, loved by God. May we receive the words of this song Hallelujah. God really loves us. What a father. What a friend. What a savior. We are really loved by you. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Houston's First Baptist Church. We invite you to worship with us at one of our four locations, at The Loop, Cypress, Downtown, or Siena. Follow us on social media or visit us online at houstonsfirst.org.